This is the Box Gathering Podcast. We take a deeper look into how learning affects boxing development and how our understanding of this as coaches can make a greater impact on performance. Catch up with us at www.theboxgathering.co.uk. The Box Gathering. Connect, share, grow. Welcome to another campfire. and I'm Ivan Cobb and joining me today is my colleague from the Box Gathering, Adam Hanover. Morning, Adam. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Very well. Thank you. Uh, and we're delighted to have two special guests in with, in with us, stoking a bit of fire up around coach education and coach development. Then uh, we've got Andy Bradshaw from UK Coaching. Hello, Andy. How are you? Good morning, Ivan. Uh, stoking a fire. Interesting uh, analogy already, but uh, no, I'm great. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for inviting me on. It's good to have you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, yes, uh, not a great deal uh, boxing, um, although I don't live too far from AIS in Sheffield, so I've been in, in and around that environment a little bit. Um, I'm a hockey coach by uh, trade in terms of um, coaching uh, 25 years in the um, England talent system um, until a younger family start, uh, I mean, I just pull back from that a little bit, but yeah, hockey coaching, um, in, in a national age group pathway um, and then my day job is with UK coaching as you mentioned uh, mainly around uh, supporting coaches in their development um, so work with lots of different sports uh, including uh, including boxing so uh, you guys um, Adam and Ivan have had the pleasure of working with you which has been great um, yeah so that's me thank you welcome and finally then um, um, we welcome um, Chris Porter from England Boxing. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Ivan. Morning, everybody. Um, yeah, just background from me, similar to, to Andy, definitely not a lifer of boxing. Um, probably my my sport, which seems a long, long time ago, was, was the world of cricket. So I uh, worked with Derbyshire, Leicestershire Cricket, uh, and then moved to the International uh, Council. Cricket Council down in Lord's Cricket Ground, which, which I was there for five years, developing cricket across the globe, particularly European cricket, which was a good experience. During that time, I coached the England VI team uh, during two World Cups and two Ashes series, which was a good experience from a coaching perspective. And then um, after, yeah, after about five, six years with the International Cricket Council, I decided to have a change saw a role working with GB Boxing as their coach development manager. Uh, and for the past six years, I've been supporting the world-class programme coaches and the wider people development strategy for the world-class programme. And in January, I took on a short secondment to be the head of development for England Boxing. Thank you. Welcome, Chris. Um, so the more I've been involved in coaching... Uh, over the years, and I started coaching in 1984, the more I think I, less, I know less about the sport and less about coaching. But I've been blessed over the years to work with many coaches and um, who have invested time in myself and probably I've invested a bit of time in other coaches. We've shared philosophies and wisdoms and, uh, and understand one another's thinking and uh, their communication and how we communicate. Obviously, some have been good. And some I've learned from over the years of not being very good. And using the cliche, I've been fortunate enough to stand on some shoulders of some giants. But nearly every coach we know will probably have the same stories as I've got. I've had that fortune of working with people and developing. 
so coach development is something that's been going on for years. But over the over the time I've been involved in coaching, then I think my my coaching has definitely changed my thoughts, and I've moved towards very much an autonomy based approach. Considering I work in a sport that's very directive, um, most of the coaches uh, will they're the font of all knowledge. They're, it's a listen to me approach, and uh, so I really want to ask you, gentlemen, how do you think we can promote more of an autonomy based approach? to our coaching and to coach education. Andy. Um, I mean, I think the reassurance, Ivan, that it's not just boxing, that um, at, at times coaches will be uh, uh, in a position where they uh, sometimes think they have to um, provide the answers and solve people, and that might be um, solve people's problems and that might be just as a result of um, the experiences they've had possibly even the experiences of, of coaches that they were coached by so they coach in the way that they were coached um, and one of the ways that you know, the way that coach development is moving is just to um, to try and get coaches to appreciate well how much does their their biography and their past experiences shape what what they know now and, and how they do what they do um, so I know possibly a question that you might ask later on around curiosity is like, well, that, that drives someone's ability to, um, to ask themselves questions um, and to start to, to delve in. But I, I, I appreciate now I'm absolutely not answering a question. So I'll get, I'll get back on track. I was just trying to, that reassurance, you know, when you said it, it's boxing that, and it might be you previously, Ivan. Um, but I think it's, it can be coaching wholesale where, this directive approach can can at times be the prevailing prevailing way of doing things. Um, you asked the question about autonomy um, and environments which support autonomy and um, or support the development of autonomy for players and athletes and boxers. In your case, and I think where I would be drawn towards is is some of the. Um, some of the really accessible research that helps us understand these things. So uh, bits around um, the difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation and, and, and how that might be informed by something like self-determination theory. So that would be a really, um, really hopefully easy thing for someone uh, in terms of a, uh, a fairly uh, well-researched, well-rounded uh, and very sort of underpinning principle of, of psychological need. Um, so if people haven't come across it, Daichi and Ryan are the two authors. Uh, it's fairly seminal in terms of, uh, of research, been around since the mid-1980s. But what that talks about is, is people's motivation and what drives that motivation. Um, and you talked about autonomy. That is That is one of the key things. So people actually, so your athletes, um, having some autonomy over what they do, having experience of that. And that in simple terms might just mean choice. You know, you're giving athletes choice in what they do, whether that might be in training or in preparation for competition or in how they do something or how they feed back to you rather than the coach having control. So I think one of the, you know, the choice versus control side of things would be an easy entry point into understanding uh, how does that how does that work for your athletes? And can you just um, 
uh, what do you mean by intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, just for people listening in? So extrinsic um, would be, uh, so the X and the in is external versus internal. So right. extrinsic quite often would be, um, you know, so people who's uh, driven by winning, driven by results. Uh, so factors that are coming from the outside. And, and again, you will, you will know in your own sport, people that are, uh, are driven by winning the next fight, by uh, becoming a champion, which is important. It's not to say that extrinsic motivation isn't important. And it will change in different, um, at different times. So, you know, as, as youngsters mature, then winning will become more important. So possibly early on in the pathway, you know, learning how to box or learning how to play football or just getting the basics in place. Uh, although everyone likes to win, it doesn't have to be the driving force. But at some point, those things will start to change. Intrinsic motivation uh, is more driven around interest and enjoyment and satisfaction. So those would be three factors that combine together. If you had a little Venn diagram, those would be three things that combine. And people often talk about having a mastery focus around intrinsic motivation. That means mastering skill development. It means uh, judging yourself on yourself rather than uh, about everybody else. Um, and quite often that can link to, you know, how you set your goals. So is it about winning on Saturday or is it about, uh, or winning the fight, you know, winning the bout on Saturday, or is it about actually where am I going to be in nine months time or 12 months time? And that can have a real change on people's focus and their attitude and their approach. Um, you know, particularly around, well, if you lose, then is it the end of the world? Possibly not. Um, but some people, that, that will be, you know, I've lost because, because their, their motivation is all about winning. That can have a significant impact on them. Thank you. Yeah. If, uh, I, if, I, could, if I could jump in there, I, um, I know a lot of people, um, and I can, I'll open start to you as well, Chris. Um, I know a lot of people, boxers, they kind of um, put this, uh, you know, you talk about self-determination theory. They kind of put down a label of who they are to their success, which has really been exacerbated recently by social media. So um, if they're successful, it's put on social media. They know there's a video on Instagram. And they really tie um, almost like who they are to their successes. And, and I wonder how much of, a, of an impact that is having, Chris, on, um, on our actual retention within the sport. What do you think? Um, I haven't really thought about it in that way, to be honest with you, Adam. I think um, that's a good question. Uh, I think we're living in a modern day where we want to present ourselves in a positive light, and there's a lot of pressure around the world of social media and how we want to present success. I think there's that, um, I know uh, we talked about intrinsic uh, versus extrinsic motivation I think there's this element of knowledge of performance knowledge of results and I think that whole thing about helping athletes to understand actually having you know you, the result might not have gone your way but was your performance good enough and I think uh, there's a there's a wonderful coach I think it was in rugby he said we can't guarantee success but we can guarantee we deserve it so when you go into a sporting event you can't guarantee you're going to win you don't know but what you can make sure is through your drive and determination to be the best position of yourself, you can go, we deserve this win because we've worked really hard for it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Uh, can I come in on the, the, of course, I think your, your example of social media, 
is is the classic example of intrinsic extrinsic stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why do I post a picture on Instagram? It's because I want extrinsic feedback around that. I want people to like me. I want I want them to press the button that you know everybody is like you know how many people have liked that. You know, the more intrinsic stuff would be, you know, I'm happy about myself within my, you know, for myself, not what, what, what I'm getting from outside. So you've got the, the ego at play here, which is, is definitely linked in terms of um, extrinsic motivation. If it's all about adulation and, you know, getting likes and uh, you're, you're, you're winning in your profile, driving um, your perception of success that is a classic one whether that's that's all external it's all extrinsic and it just means that at times you know when a when a fall happens or and there's a bump in the road then those individuals might struggle much more to cope with that because everything has been laden upon um Right, well, it, it is all about winning and my, uh, my, my social position is all about me being at this particular point. And then when that all starts to fall down, how does someone cope there? Um, so I think there's lots of things at play here. You know, we're, we're all working and we're all coaching in a modern world where social media is, is having a massive impact on what we do. Um, and I think it will, you know, it will definitely, you can talk about social um, self-determination theory, but actually some of the stuff we have to do is just real life real world of kids on social media and what that means to them. It was, it means a whole lot, you know, sometimes we've done workshops and say, well, we need to, you know, you need to get rid of phones and you need to have time away from, away from social media. But it's, it's such a huge part of, of children and adolescents life now that we just need to get that balance, right? Mm -hmm. well, one, one thing I'd like to share is I had a one-to-one -one with a particular coach within cricket uh, a couple of weeks ago who, who, who was leading the coaching or leading the team that won the T20 competition this year. And one of the questions I said to him, I said, you know, between you and this other team, you're the only ones who've really taken something from a winning perspective in terms of performance. And, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he said, yeah, you do have a point. But he said, for us, it's about those other wins that people don't see. You know, you know batting averages are going up. Our fielding catches is, is better than ever. Our ability to get a decent lead in the first inning. So he actually reeled off all these elements of performance and winning. You know, very simply, you know, some of our batsmen, in terms of weight making, they are fitter than they've ever been. He said, and he was so clear on that how, that's how we saw winning rather than just, you know, what does the final score say at the end? Um, can I just come back to what Ivan said? You started something, Ivan, in a very modest way about, you know, the more that you've been in the sport, the less you think, you know, you're sure of yourself. But, for me, that's a, one of the true elements of being an expert in your domain or, or sport. Uh, I think coaches go through that journey, from my point of view, going really sure of themselves. And then actually, as they get more sure, they become unsure because they're seeing, rather than black and white, they're seeing different shades of grey. And rather than just being, it's this or this, it, it could be this, it could be that. And there's, there's a wonderful phrase that I picked up from a, a coach called Gordon Lord, and he said, maintain your position with doubt so always have a position of where you're coming from but always have that element of doubt where you think it could be this it could be that which might link on to be sparking that curiosity that you have as a coach if that makes sense uh, I, th I think the only other thing is, is is we talk about you know that autonomy element of it is the other phrase is start with the end in mind what's 
as an endpoint, what type of athlete, person, boxer in this case, are you trying to produce? Somebody who is would adhere to tactics or be told what to do, or somebody who is able to make good, sound decisions under pressure when it really matters. And I think that's where we need to ask our coaches, what are you trying to produce? Because what you produce is a reflection on how you coach. Um, so, yeah, so something for the coaches to think about. So how do we go about doing that then, chaps? So how do we actually go about creating a, a learning environment which is more towards that intrinsic base, uh, more towards that, let's say, task over ego? Uh, what, what kind of? So you gave us a couple of um, little seats there that we're thinking about, but can you give us some more examples about how you'd go about you know, intentionally building a, a, a much more um, task-based, intrinsic, mo- motivated environment within boxing? Um, Go on, Chris. Well, the the only thing I would add before Andy comes in there is is, is start with the the demands of the sport. The one thing I would say to coaches is write down or describe boxing in writing or words that doesn't use the word boxing. So describe boxing without using boxing. So it is a combative sport. It's one versus one. The demands are around decision-making, high-pressure situations. You've got the, the ability to react and those of you who know about reactions, it's not just about that reactions, it's about the anticipation of seeing things. So what are you seeing? So if you start looking at that, that's the, the, the beginnings of the journey of understanding what's it take to perform in this particular sport. And then there, all of a sudden, you've got some g- generic demands of the sport. So if you take decision-making, do I move forward, do I move back, do I move left, do, do I move right, do I defend, do I attack? The choice is with the choice maker. And last time I checked, the choice is with the boxer, not with the coach. So with that in mind, the coach needs to... It's interesting people talk about empower somebody, but to empower somebody, you need, you need to have the power in the first place. And yeah, coaches do have power, but so does the boxer. So it's about encouraging the boxer to have the opportunity to be in a position to make decisions. And like I said, it's not that black versus white. It's not an on and off switch. It's a gradual progression. If that makes sense. If you give too much freedom too soon without alignment and support they might struggle so it's about going actually what decisions can they make in a safe environment where if it goes wrong hey it's okay it's 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 that's what sort of training sports or practices you know we you know, we learn through that mm-hmm. and um yeah so I, i'd say start with the demands of the sport write down some fundamental principles of the sport and then go actually what do we need to do because that's starting with the end in mind. What do we need to do to see in our athletes to make sure that they have the capability of thriving in that environment? What no, you, you, go ahead, Andy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talked about, you know, what do we do as, as coaches? Um, I mean, the, the control element, so moving away from that, where the coaches seem to be in control of things, you know, the, the, simplest, the simplest form of, of changing that dynamic is to have more conversations with boxers with athletes so open up a dialogue and a dialogue which is properly two-way you know not just i'm um, having a conversation with you to tell you something um, i actually want to f- to find out from you and it, it might go back to the points i made about uh what sort of what composes intrinsic motivation if that's interest and satisfaction and enjoyment well ask those questions you know what is going to what makes uh uh, training and and competition interesting for you genuinely interesting and and actually ask t- 
to, to get that information back, not just as a lib service. So what, what, what's making it interesting for you? What do you enjoy in your training? Um, you know, what could you enjoy more? What do I need to know about you to help me uh, enable you to train better? Um, you know, what's, what satisfies you from the training that you do and what satisfies you in the lead up to a, a fight and the, and the, um, in the aftermath of a fight, what, what are those things that actually, um, uh, sort of all build up to the things that actually, well, get you out of bed, make you go down to the gym, actually make you properly engage and be motivated and want to do this because this is why the sort of self-determination piece when you unpick that what you want them to do is you want them people you know if they're going to progress and be successful or progress and just be just enjoy their fighting career well that's a long-term game you know people need to be motivated they need to be engaged and they need to want to do this it's not just doing it because dad says they want to do it because that you know that will fall off a cliff at some point you know, if, if you're, if you're not motivated for yourself and for your, for your development, then, um, that will quickly drain away. Um, and I suppose one other thing to consider when you sort of start to, um, to work around those, those three points that I was talking about there is, you know, a level of sort of a challenge point and level of difficulty of, of training. So when you've gone through the exercise that, that Chris has talked about, actually having conversations, where is the challenge point? Where's the challenge point for each of the different boxes that you're working with that's going to keep them engaged, keep them pushing on a little further um, and enable them to see their development through practice and through this mastery focused way, way of approaching things rather than when's my next fight? Am I going to win this? If I don't win this, what's going to happen? Actually, what you're now starting to do is you, you, you're turning their their journey, their training and competition journey into a series of stages, which they need to be fully engaged in and you're engaged with them. Um, and that's where you start, you use a sort of an autonomy, uh, an autonomous environment or environment that helps someone thrive. That's what that looks like. Um, whereas, you know, you will possibly some environments where, you know, it's more of a controlling environment and, you know, it's, it's very one way dialogue, actually those environments, there's just lots of conversations between coaches and athletes and athletes and boxers feel that they can talk because the coach is interested. I, I definitely agree with that conversation bit about, I mean, some, 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 the origins of coaching talks about the distance for long distance travel. So that's the origins of the word coach. And I think coaching conversations is a, is a clear part of that. I think th- a couple of, couple of examples I'll, I just want to bring in again, it will challenge the people who are listening in, but a, a fellow coach developer was working with a coach and the conversa- conversation went on these lines, how the guys get on today and the coach went, crikey, mate, these guys are delusional. And the response from the coach developer is, how do you coach that? And they went on this conversation, coach developer and coach, and what it turned out to be was that this particular coach in this particular sport did everything for the athletes. Led the warm-up, led the cool-down, did all the planning, spoke with the parents directly, did everything. Then all of a sudden, there's, there's not a surprise that those athletes, in this case, he used the word delusional, but in terms of when, you know, where's their motivation, where there's their direction, their leadership skills or whatever it might be. But 
The other example is, is in a hypothetical world, what if, if I was a coach and Adam, you're the boxer, what if you, you did everything I say over a 10-year period and you didn't win? Whose fault is it? And I would have attacked you a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, is you know, for example, if you become so dependent upon the coach, waiting for them to tell you what to do, when to do it, and if it turns out that you don't win, you go, hang on, I've spent all my years listening to you, just doing what you told me to do, and I haven't been successful. So in some cases, that, that coach has got to be really mindful of where they're putting themselves in that position if they're going to be telling, you know, you know, sage on the stage as opposed to guiding from the side. I just I think uh, we talk about... Yeah, go on, I come on. And I was just going to say about going back to Tony, I know a story from boxing like where one coach took it beyond and it was involved in an England thing. He, he got to the corner and he asked the boxer, so what do you think? And it, it was like he was waiting for the boxer to talk in that minute break you know and what are we going to do he, he thought that's how that program was meant to be he hadn't sort of like got the hang of what we were where the you know the air come from and, and being a, the autonomous approach sort of thing it's got to be coached doesn't it Andy sort of thing it's you know you've got to lead it from early doors I mean I, I know you gave me an article uh, back on the strive about uh, the coaches on the All Blacks don't even sort of hardly talk to the players on match day. You know what I mean? It's like their, their job's done. You know what I mean? And if the players ain't ready, then don't turn up type of thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was the... Uh, I think one of the points that I took out of that article was, I can't remember, I think it was Hanson at the time, Steve Hanson. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, why are we doing a, a pre-match meeting? Well, why are we doing a pre-match briefing? And, and, and he asked the players... And the players was like, well, we don't need it. And, it, you know, what came to pass was actually they were doing it because the coach felt that it, it was for him. It was for the coach's purposes rather than for the players' purposes. It comes back to that control bit. And it possibly comes back to also, well, this is what we've always done. You know, that, that's, that's the way things are structured, you know. And it might be, I'm fairly sure, there will be some processes that happen in boxing. That just, well, that's, that's what's happened that's what happened in boxing. It's like it doesn't necessarily make it right. It's just that's how it's always been, which, which possibly, you know, it does link into some of the curiosity piece around, well, why do we do these things? You know, uh, so asking those questions, which would spark more curiosity, you know, that's myself and, and, and Chris, you know, when we work with coaches and I have the privilege of working with other sports as well, um, it, it's brilliant to be able to go in and ask those what we call sort of like um, naive questions and just say, okay, just talk me through why you're doing this. Um, because I don't know, even if I do know, I can still ask that question. You just, just tell us why you're doing this. Um, and half the time it's like, well, yeah, well, this is what we do. It's like, well, why do you do it? You know, what's the purpose here? And that, that was almost the, where the, where the all blacks came from. It's like, well, we don't need to do this. If we've done the week preparation or for all blacks, I'm sure it's more than just a week's preparation for a game. We don't need any reminders. We don't need any sort of drum beating, you know, inspirational team talks. You know, our job's done. Coach can go and have a coffee um, and the players will, will sort things out. Um, but yeah, asking those questions why um, in, a, in a constructive way. You know, it's not going in and being, well, why are you doing that? Well, you know, finger pointing, why are you doing that? It's actually just, 
can you just talk me through, you know, why? And, you know, there might be an exceptionally valid and good reason that's well thought out. And it's like, okay, fine. Um, but you'll also have coaches just like, mm, yeah, I'm not sure. You can sort of see, mm, yeah, well, I'm doing it. Maybe because I saw someone else do it and that's why I'm doing it. It's like, well, that, that doesn't make it right either. You're just copying someone then. So it is the problem because we grow up? Because most of, most of us who have been parents realise that kids young, they don't stop asking questions and they're very curious about everything and all of a sudden we grow up. Looking at it from a coaching educational point of view, when the coaches first come in, they ask a lot of questions. I think me and Chris were talking about uh, older coaches yesterday and higher level coaches. They, they stop being curious. They stop asking those questions about themselves and about the sport because they already sort of know the answers. But, you know, as we said right at the very start, the answers are, are, are miles and miles away. We just have to keep going for them, you know. So how, do we, how can we promote more curiosity amongst our coaches in boxing, do you think, Andy? Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, if my four-year-old was in the room now, uh, we'd probably, what are we in, 20, 25 minutes? We'd probably be on 100 questions. Like, who are you talking to? Why are you talking to them? Why are you talking about boxing? You don't know anything about boxing. You know, it'd just be a constant stream. Um, but I do think, you know, at times the coaches like, like certainty. Um, and I don't, you know, actually we like certainty as well. That, that, that experience of doubt and that experience of uncertainty can be a really anxious time. So people quite often will steer away from that. Um, I, I think the role, um, you know, if I was to put my UK coaching hat firmly on, the role of coach developers or people who support coaches, whether they're called coach developers or not, is crucial because uh, supporting someone to ask questions of themselves and ask questions of their practice can be really challenging because you might be unpicking something that they've spent a lot of time, possibly invested money, um, you know, might well have um, given up on things from with their family because you know all of this coaching stuff just takes an inordinate amount of time and a huge amount of commitment and then someone can walk in the door and it's like why are you doing that that's wrong yeah you thought about if you considered this it's like and suddenly you're starting to tear down someone's world you know piece by piece um whereas the coach developer and the way in which we would approach coach development work has been crucially supportive um and understanding when the right time to ask a question that might provoke a little bit of thought and a little bit of, you know, rather than that's wrong, you know, is there another way? Have you considered this? You know, the way we use language and the way we frame questions, I think is really, really important because quite often when people come in and make an observation or a judgment, it's just like, uh, I wouldn't do it that way, or it should be done this way or why are you doing that? And that immediately gets people's backs up. So, um, how how we as people that work within sports encourage each other just to be a little bit more curious about why why the things work the way that they do. Um, can I ask someone else for their opinion, a different perspective? Um, you know, what did you see there? You know, I noticed this, but these are all very different ways of phrasing something than uh, I noticed you were doing that. Well, I'd have done it this way. And quite often you'll get that. Um, and that just shuts down people being curious because, you know, they almost feel like attacked, you know, and they become fearful and they become very, um, you know, we just sort of retreat into our shells at that point. I think 
from from our point of view, and Adam, I feel support me or not. Uh, obviously, we we formed the gathering on the back of isolation and and things like that, and with the support of Mickey Driscoll and and the three of us sat there and we used to invite people on, and and Mick would go, go on, then ask me a question, go on, and he he encouraged people to ask questions and the questions that were asked and 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 it really did make what we are doing now. You know what I mean? It was the uh, coach education changed for my view in that lockdown where all the coaches that sit and they've got secrets that they're going to keep secrets were actually just happy to talk to people. You know, it was like a, uh, they were released. They thought they'd been locked in. It was all competition. Then they realized that they were their best friends, all these coaches, and they were just sharing. And Adam, I mean, not selling them, but Adam made some booklets up on all the topics that people have said. And that that's gold dust, really, what people are actually coming out and being open, weren't they, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a, I think it was a bit of a byproduct actually, which I didn't really expect. You know, I, I did expect everyone to be um, during the gatherings quite hard nosed, uh, ring fence their knowledge, and a little bit just kind of listening from a distance, but not really um, have that you know that word vulnerability of of being able to share. And I think by providing this platform, people were suddenly and surprisingly so to themselves. I think as well. They just had that um, permission from each other just to open up a little bit, share some ideas in a sport which has never really done that before. And it, it was such a, you know, a fantastic sort of byproduct of, of what we've done. So in, in terms of that whole vulnerability piece, um, you know, it is so powerful. I think a lot of people do find it hard to be vulnerable as boxing coaches. But if we are able to do that, you know, what are the what would you say, Chris? What would you say if we are able to be more vulnerable as a sport or as a coach, a boxing coach? What are the you know the benefits that are going to happen with the boxers? Well, I think I think I wrote down while you were talking about you know, a couple of things there. I thought this that continuum between being sure and unsure, and and I think that might be something for coaches to have a think about. You know, go, what am I really sure about in terms of aspects of my coaching and potentially what areas. Am I potentially unsure? And I think if you keep doing that as a bit of a cycle, what you probably find is things might become more unsure. What gives you the facts or the, the data or what creates that belief that you're really sure about that? But I think that element of being judged is, is, is a key element. And I think coming back to those questions, the purpose of the question is to find out. You know, sometimes people see questions as a way to challenge and you know that environment's going, oh my gosh, they're asking a question because they don't know. I can't believe they don't know that. Surely they know, they know that. And you hear this phrase in boxing, of always been found out, or she's been found out. So what you need to create, like you said at the start of the conversation, of having conversations where we actually share our knowledge. The, the, the other analogy I was thinking about is that difference between a cook and a chef. A cook will always follow the instructions. You know, I'm a cook at home. I follow, follow a Jamie Oliver book. And I will follow that recipe to its absolute prescription. But I'm nowhere a chef. And being a chef, I think, would really outweigh the benefits of being a cook, if that makes sense, of being actually being just different varieties and go through from that. I think the, the only other thing I'd, I'd, I'd point out to coaches is that it's about the country being strong for coaching and producing the best athletes as a country as a whole. And if we want to be world's best or world beating over a sustained period of time, our ability to share all our knowledge 
and be able to apply it in our unique context environments as coaches is going to be uh, certainly a winning aspect for us to be successful on the world stage going forward. Uh, just, just picking up on what you mentioned about how, well, it goes back to you talking about the space that you created over lockdown. Um, now, you know, if you delve into all of the research around social learning spaces, uh, which, which is interesting stuff, what comes out of it is people will have been vulnerable in that space because of the way that you guys created it. Um, I'm willing to share stuff in that space. I'm willing to share stories because I'm assuming you created a space which people felt safe in and they, they felt willing to share and they felt cared for. And actually this was, this was something you know, because I'm sure you set it up to do all of those things in the way in which you approach that and the way in which you approach guests. Because we went through fairly similar stuff with the UK coaching in terms of a coach developer space. Um, you know, we wanted people just to come and connect with each other um, and share and grow and, you know, and, and be there for each other. And, and when you do that, the, the willingness of people to open up and to possibly share stuff that they may never have done in previous worlds and possibly in, you know, pre COVID world. I think there's been a whole load of um, unintended uh, consequences of COVID and, and the way that we're now learning and the way that we're doing things like this. Um, but the reason I say that is I do think that links through to some of the, the things I was talking about, about coaching conversations. You know, if you're trying to, uh, have more of a dialogue with your athletes, with an individual, an individual athlete or a group of athletes, but you're setting that up in such a way that they're seeing that you're wanting to be supportive of them. You care about what's going on in their lives. You care about what their goals and aspirations are. And that's why you're doing it. And you set that up right from the start. Then you're, you're creating a, an environment you're, enabling a culture to then start to develop that that's how we do things that's how we do things around here whether it's in a particular gym or it's in a particular academy that actually athletes are involved in their journey um, and by doing that it links to the previous two questions around that will help build an understanding of what intrinsic motivation is and it will help do things that fall into all of the categories that if you read about self-determination it will build people's autonomy because they're more invested in what they're doing um and it will build better coach athlete relationships because there's those conversations happening and when you go into those environments and you see things you know what you see and what you feel and what you hear is just people actually caring about what they do um and that's really nice and you go into another environment and it possibly feels a bit more cold and it feels a bit more directed and there are definitely times where that needs to happen but not all of the time. So that balance, you know, coaching is complex and it's difficult because it's, it's a social endeavor. It's like the people are involved in this and people change every time they turn up to a gym. So um, it's not easy, but uh, you know, having this, listening to this conversation and, and going back to curiosity priest, well, what, what am I taking from today? What, what can I take from this conversation with five people that, um, what, what am I curious about? What can I go off and read a little bit more about? What can I ask someone else about? Um, you know, share it with them and, and, you know, do a little bit of, you know, what does this mean for me? Um, that I think is really sort of creating that spark of curiosity, maybe going back to lighting a fire under someone, actually, you know, what can I find out a little bit more about? 
Can I have to say something? I was thinking about saying anyway. So I'm not, we're on the flight path of, uh, of the US Air Force base over Lake Heath. I don't know if you can hear it. I've got a couple of F-15s going over the top of me. But what was really interesting, some of the research, was, well, I, I was curious about one topic is being a fighter pilot and the difference between the fighter pilots in the Vietnam War between the Americans and the Vietnamese were the Americans actually empowered the pilots to make decisions where the opposite were the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese pilots were guided and told what to do from the ground, when to shoot, when not to shoot. So I'm just thinking when you come back to that environment, if you travel in at 600 miles an hour, 300 feet across Hanoi, whatever it might be, compare that, I've got one guy who's been empowered to make decisions in a split second moment, who can read the moment in real time by where we've got this other person who's seeing the moment, observing it, Telling somebody else what's happening, waiting to be instructed and guided. Who do you think is going to win that fight? Mm-hmm. Compare that to boxing. You've got a boxer who adaptable, independent, resilient, robust, make quality decisions in real time, always going to be on the front foot, so to speak, as compared to somebody who's waiting for instructions to, to respond to that, if that makes sense. So, uh, it's sorry, just picking it. Sorry no, about what, noise. Link it, linking on to your aircraft thing. So, you know, doing a little bit of, um, I was revisiting some of the bits that I'd shared on Curiosity before. And, and one of the things that the guy that landed, I think it's uh, Captain Sully, the guy that landed at the, um, the plane on the Hudson River. Yeah. So uh, when his uh, engine started to fail, the story behind that is you know, his his sort of flying journey was um, was born out of Curiosity in terms of every... You know, his sort of reflective practice every um every flight that he did he would be thinking around well actually you know what, what are the what if scenarios that could happen here how do i think about this even if it's even if it's a perfectly normal flight he would be thinking about being curious about the, those what ifs and uh, so the story goes obviously as things started to go wrong on that particular flight, he was able to think through, right, what are my options here in the, I think it's 208 seconds or something, really short time where he had to make some decisions, but he was able to, um, to sort of play through all of the ways that he'd been thinking previously and came up in quite a creative way. He came up with a, a, a scenario that obviously worked um, that possibly not many other people would have thought about and that it, it comes back to to Chris's analogy. It's like, well, if you have to not not Chris's analogy, Chris's real stuff. You're in a fight. You know, something starts to happen which changes the plan. Do you want your boxer to have to wait until you know the bell rings to come back to ask you what do I do, or do you want him to be able to solve him or her to be able to solve things in the round, explore some different options? They might not work. You know, they might do. You know, we would have the same thing in hockey. You know, you're playing against a team. They start to attack you in a different way. You need to adapt to that on the hoof. You know, we've definitely had players where they've looked over to me on the sidelines like, what do I do now? It's like, well, what you do now is, is play hockey. Um, you know, you, you, you apply some of the principles. You work some of those things through. If, you, if you're just requiring the coach to tell you how to solve this, then possibly... Uh, you know, your your future options are becoming a little bit restricted because, you know, when you get higher up the game, when things become quicker, your ability to, to be adaptable and, and to be independent and to be resilient are going to be absolutely challenged. So 
from a coaching point of view, how can you start to introduce those things at as early an age as possible? I mean, we had, we had a, an internal conversation last week about, well, you know, how, how young is too young? It's like, well, making sure things are balanced and making sure things are thought through. I don't think there is a, is it too young, you know, choice and autonomy. Well, we're exploring those things with, with our youngsters now. You know, it's not it's not giving them absolute um, autonomy about what happens, but some choice, you know, uh, will certainly certainly helps. I think one thing I, I was reflecting upon my experience when I was a leading Derbyshire age group cricket was the importance of engaging with the parents and the wider support network of the team. Because if if you've had a certain player. Uh, or an athlete has been accustomed to be told what to do and being very much, you know, coaches they are used to are sage on the stage, this is what you do. And all of a sudden you come to a different environment and you go, so what do you think you should be doing now? The jump's massive and the learning curve's really, really steep. And all of a sudden it's like the athlete's confused, the parents don't, well, the parents got perception that the coach should be saying stuff. And, and then there was a phrase we said, a brave coach keeps quiet. Because the expectation is the coach is always saying stuff. They're always telling what to do. So we had to do a bit of a, a re-education and bringing a lot of people with us to articulate why we coach the way we are coaching. So we want players, like Andy said, you know, in hockey or in cricket or in different sports, to make good decisions under pressure. The coach sometimes can be there, but not always. So therefore, it's down to the athlete, like you say, the choices with the choice maker. So if I would say anything, you know, if you're going to make some steps, it's small progressive steps will help educate the people that sit around that athlete to understand the reasons why you're doing this. Because as I say, sometimes it can be really counterproductive. And you know what it's like in, in probably in boxing is some boxing coaches will go, he's not telling them what to do. No, no, come to me and I'll tell you what to do. It's almost, you just, and then the athlete's got a choice. Do I figure it out for myself or do I just go to somebody who just tells me what to do? So definitely bringing people with you on your coaching journey or philosophy is probably a good thing to consider. Uh, this is probably a bit of a, you know, to, just to start wrapping it up, chaps, this is probably a bit of a polarised uh, quote. Um, every time you give an instruction, you steal, you steal a decision. And I feel at the moment that uh, we may be kind of sat very much at the end of that kind of... Uh, polarization in the sport so you know very heavily instruction based uh, very little decision based but I do feel and I don't know what you think Ivan I do feel there's a movement happening at the moment you know from, from part, you know, part of what we're doing but in you know generically across the sport in this country I think we're starting to wake up to realize that people want to be empowered they want to actually be asked questions they want to um, understand the what not just the what but they want to understand the why as well for what's going on and I, I feel we're really moving that way and I think that's what will separate us from a lot of countries especially at the high performance end where you do get this um, very sort of militant autocratic styles in, in many countries but I think with our uh, movement towards this this way of coaching I feel that we can be the number one nation um, in Europe if we keep going along these routes um, and it, it's, and I think it's really really exciting to be to be a part of at the moment at all, at all levels really. The, the, yes, um, Chris talked about the sort of sliding scale between um, certainty and uncertainty, or was it doubt and no? Sure, sure, and unsure. Sure and unsure. 
And the, 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 you'd have a similar sliding scale between uh, problem solving and problem setting. Um, and that would be, be, and again, just having a think around actually what does problem setting look like for me in my coaching? And what does that look like for the, for the, you know, the type of experience that a boxer that you're working with actually set them a problem in training, right? Well, I want you to do this particular one. I want you to fight at, at, at this range. What is that going to make you do maybe with a type of boxer that is a bit different, or I want you to, to work on this particular thing. That's your problem for today. Well, that then gives, that gives a whole load of different stuff. It links back to what we're talking about intrinsic motivation. The debrief about that is how did you go about solving the problem? You know, how do you think, do you, how did you go in solving it? Did you solve it or not? That debrief is now no longer about, well, did you, did you win this? You know, how was, did you win the sparring or did you win the fight? It's actually, did you solve the problem? You know, what's the next problem we can set? That, cha- that entirely starts to change that conversation. It starts to change how we're measuring effectiveness of a particular session because it's now about problem solving from the athlete point of view. The challenge for that is, as, 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 as coaches, how do we think about the problems we want to set? It's sort of, it, it's, you're not deciding stuff. This is what we're going to do because I know the answers. You're actually, you're asking more questions, not providing answers. And that, that's a whole load of doubt for coaches because it flips what they've been doing on their head. Um, but that's probably my, my sort of leaving one. You know, actually, if you can think about the problems that you're setting, then that will definitely get more engaged participants. You know, and hopefully people that are really enjoying and satisfying you, seeing the sort of working things through. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's difficult and it's challenging, but it's a really interesting space to get into. Can I just say, when we talked about, you know, what's a true representation of the sport of boxing is your opponent is presenting you problems in real time and you've got to solve those problems. And the quicker you solve that problem, you're creating more problems for them to solve. And you're in that constant didactic situation. So your ability to solve problems is, 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 is a key part. Um, one thing I, I, I did talk about with some coaches some years ago was about we had to go doing this three to one ratio, so three questions to one tell. So, for example, you, you're doing a debrief with an athlete. See how far you can get using three questions to see if you can raise or generate, you know, that that internal feedback reflection. And if they can't get there, where you think there's a real key coaching moment, and say that's the moment where you can just say, well, if you just move your head to the left or to your right, you, you feel the difference in your, in your body position. And I, th- I think that's the key thing. So when you when if we go down that question route of, you know, say what Andy was saying about problem setting. When there's a moment when you do need to tell somebody, it just cuts through the chase and makes it so much more powerful because it's like, crikey, I've just been guided there. And, that, and I think that's a good way to do it as well. Yeah, I think it's that whole, you know, stretch and support piece, you know, yes. and, and, and a coach really knowing when to identify um, that, within the individual it's you know it's not a blanket approach you have to know those individuals and when to stretch them uh, and when to support them you know and you, and you talk about represent uh, representative design and things like that i wonder how much um you know i think we are in boxing getting more skilled at actually um having a kind of representative practice design but then when the, when do we actually kind of let go of the reins and actually think actually I, I will let it go in this direction now or i let it go in that direction from what we set rather than actually having an outcome in our mind and we must funnel down that outcome rather than actually letting them go, right, where do we go next? 
so we have got we have got that kind of psychological safety where we can actually allow mistakes and allow people to go off in their own areas no slightly guided by ourselves but i, th I think um we're getting like i said we're getting better at, at designing practices now to elicit certain skills to emerge but are we still holding on to those reins too tight and it being still too coach-led sometimes. That's kind of a sort of space I'm in at the moment, trying to let myself say, okay, let's go your way, if that's what you're seeing. And it's a, it's a difficult one, because um, for I me, it's, it's a little bit like, um, you know, pulling the skin off and putting some new ones on. Yeah, I think um, uh, the reassurance from seeing other coaches in different sports go in the same way. It's a gradual process. Uh, it, it requires support. You know, so where coaches can have, um, you know, coaching conversations with somebody else. And just say, well, actually, how did that go? You know, did, did, I, did I go a little too far? Have I, have, I, have I sort of tipped over into, you know, it becoming a little chaotic because there's no, there's no control there? And, you know, just finding, finding the right balance, I think, is, you know, it will be different and there will be some of those it depends moments because you know you're looking at well okay yeah with this this particular individual might i might need to just temper some of the explore and the problem setting stuff and i might need to retain a little bit of a little bit more directive approach for a little longer um and then with someone else it might be right we can go we can go fully immersed into this because they've got it you know and they're really engaged with it and Maybe, you know, experiences they've had. It might be school experiences they're impacting. It might be parental influences. Um, so, yeah, all of those things, I think, are crucial. And that just comes back to you knowing your, knowing your athlete, knowing your boxer. And if you know that, you can start to make those, those individualized decisions much, much better. But it's not easy. <laughs> it certainly isn't. It certainly isn't. And we're going to get it wrong every day. And I think showing that we're okay with getting it wrong is, is a nice way of role modeling to them as well, that we're only human and we're in the journey together. So, uh, gents, um, thanks very much for your time. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic. So this will go out very soon on Campfire when our new uh, website is going live, which hopefully will be in the next uh, uh, week and a half or so. Some great content to go on there. And this is just going to be one of the absolute gems that will go out to, to get people considering... Uh, being curious, considering motivations and, and the autonomy-led approach. So, gents, thanks again. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks very Thank much. You. Thank you. Chris. Thanks, guys. Thank you. No problem. If you liked this podcast, similar content and discussions can be found at The Box Gathering. The Box Gathering is a social initiative born out of the ashes of the first lockdown in March 2020. We provide a platform where coaches, boxers, officials and boxing enthusiasts can join together online to discuss various boxing topics. It's free to join and upgrade options offer unlimited access to all our live gatherings, campfire videos and coaching resources. Join today at www.theboxgathering.com dot co dot uk